welcome to this episode of All Stars of Turf. Happy to announce that our next recipient is Sean Tully of the Meadow Club in California, in Marin County. And Sean is the, uh, I'm not, not sure what your title is now, it's, it's, it's changed around a little bit, but uh, Meadow Club is the first McKenzie designed course in the United States. I do remember that. And mm-hmm. a fabulous location at the top of a road that you can only find if you know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> first time I went there, I th- I was about to turn around because I thought I had taken the wrong route. And um, uh, finally found the place at the top of the road and it was a, it was a journey worth taking. So uh, anyway, Sean, congratulations and thanks for joining us here today. Um, a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. Uh, so we'll get to as much as we can here, but you've sort of made your bones and your name in this business early on in your career through your affinity for classic era architecture. And I remember you telling me stories how you would have, uh, you would be invited to speak at other golf courses around uh, California to provide history of their property that they were unaware of. Explain a little bit uh, where your your interest and your love for classic era architecture and uh, borderline obsession, I guess, really is a better way to put it, where that came from. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, no, it's, I do have a love. It's it's a, basically a love for history and a love for the game of golf. And the more I, I, I really tried to just focus on Meadow Club, but the more um, I delved into it, the more I realized how much we didn't know here at Meadow Club, but then also as I looked for stuff on Meadow Club, I found all this information on other courses. And um, as I reached out to some other superintendents and shared it with them, you know, um, I realized pretty quickly that there's there's a void in what we know um, for a lot of golf courses, some of the best courses in the country, as a matter of fact. And um, I I couldn't stop. And, um, you know, the USGA put a bunch of stuff online. So I, luckily that was, that was a number of years ago now, but, um, it was during the winter. So I was working all day and then going home and going through these magazines online and, uh, but, but, uh, just trying to figure out the history and, you know, if somebody, I just got, had some folks reach out to me from San Diego, uh, country club. Um, they listened to a podcast I did with, uh, um, golf historian um and you know they're interested in some some of the things i said and you know i'll be more than happy to help them because it helps me as well i'm trying to understand you know willie watson and what where he was and what he was doing at certain time periods so it's interesting you have a special affinity for mckenzie designs Mm -hmm. what is it specifically about mckenzie golf courses that you find so intriguing a lot um his work um was was pretty interesting and given i mean i've been able to see the progression of his work from all woodley all the way up to you know we can we'll we'll say uh sharp park which was one of his oldest courses uh that he had done before you know we have bayside and augusta but the bayside is no longer around and augusta is so much changed but um his work was more 
trying to have the golf course um, be more natural. Um, and uh, it was kind of the counter to um, Charles Bohr McDonald and the Rainer engineered look of golf courses um, and, you know, the rough edges and having not worrying about color and, um, but it was all about um, the economy of things. So economy of design, construction and maintenance is, you know, one of the, my things that I really like about his work and in that he designed, you know, some of the greatest courses um, in California here, Valley Club, Cypress Point, Meadow Club with um, central features being the highlight and then playing you know, for, at Meadow Club, we have the oasis where we had this huge rock outcropping, and we have all these tees and greens that all come come and go from that same area. And the same thing happens at Valley Club um, with the number of hills there um, that the tees are built on and the greens are backed up into. Um, it just everything fits. And but what makes it interesting is that everything's so um, um, so tight. In but there's interactions with uh, other groups and stuff. But you know, for Meadow Club, I was just rereading some old articles. Um, I'm going through some of my stuff. I'm trying to help uh, uh, somebody write a golf uh, club history on uh, another course in the area. And um, so I started going through stuff, and I I keep saying that Meadow Club is the St. Andrews of America um, in in some ways. And I went back and I found articles where Robert Hunter is basically saying that. So I, that's where I got that from. He's saying it in the newspapers that, you know, the intent of the golf course was it's a wide open meadow. And to have, you know, shared fairways and they didn't have shared greens, even though the original um, one of the irrigation plants looks like nine and 18 might have been close they're about as close as you can get to not being uh double greens but um given that mckenzie had just finished uh plans he finished his famous plan for st andrews and the rna um in about 1923-24 to have his first course in north america pattern after st andrews is pretty special and uh that you know that ties in for me, a lot of things I've studied St. Andrews and I finally got to go there this last summer or this year in July. Um, and when I find something out like that, I just start digging and want, wanting to learn more about stuff. So it was a real treat to be at St. Andrews this, this year to see that, especially given some of the restoration work that we're trying to do here now. Right. <clears throat> so what, what did you pick up there that you, you're able to implement back home? Well, what was interesting is some of the native grasses I have are are present there as well. So they have, we both have um, an agrostis palins that's the same. Um, what I was kind of caught off guard by was um, how narrow the course is in places. Um, and that's more in line for the, the, the modern game, so to speak. And that's been talked about um, over the years. But the bunkering... Um, the, the, the more aggressive your play, the, I mean, the bunkers are, if your ball runs into the bunker, um, it has a greater chance of being right up against the wall. And, um, 
it gives you no relief. I mean, you, you, you're either hitting out sideways or um, I actually saw Bryson um, on the fifth hole, I think. I was waiting for him to hit out of a bunker and he took his time and tried to figure out all these different avenues and he ended up just chipping in the bunker back about five feet so that he can have a better shot and get up onto the green instead of chipping out and maybe hitting the the, the uh, wall of the bunker on the backside. Some of the bunkers were pretty steep to get into. Right. But, um, you know, it was, it was really cool just to see the interaction between the holes, walking in between the holes. And, you know, the last day I'm, I had group, 16 so i wasn't too far away from the end of the of uh, of the day but uh, i was on 16 or 17 and as i was walking down i was just watching the 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 groups that were just teeing off on the for their last round um, you know mcelroy and and um i can't remember cam smith i can't it wasn't it wasn't it was hovland i guess i can't remember now but uh you know, just watching those guys walk by, knowing that they were making history, um, and I was there witnessing it um, was probably the biggest part of that. But just seeing the golf course, um, I think seven, ten, uh, seven and eleven, that little the crossing holes there, how that played out in one of our holes. We have a copy of the uh, high in hole, which most people call the the Eden hole. Um, um, we have a copy of that. It was just really interesting to see that hole that McKenzie patterned ours after and seeing it for real there and just seeing that there wasn't a lot of similarity to it. Um, the bunkering was um, spaced out a lot different and tighter um, and didn't, but it was just really cool to see what he took and used here. Um, that was fun. And I was able to do the same thing at, um, I, I played, I did play one round of golf out there. I played North Barrick and I played with a good friend of mine, Ben Warren, and it was great. He's a local, um, he grew up there. So we just went around the course and talked and played golf and, and, um, uh, it was a treat. We got to the Redan hole, um, finally got to see the original Redan hole and I almost got a hole in one. <laughs> so but I couldn't believe, I mean, I was just trying to take it all in, taking pictures and um, trying to get a feel for the, for the hole. Cause I don't know when I'm going to get back. And, uh, but it was just, it's, it was just amazing to see some of these holes that I've been waiting, you know, just hit 50 this year. So I, I don't want to wait another 50 years to get back. So I'm going to try to figure out how to get back and then see, see some other courses that I've been wanting to see as well. So I can take the history and all the stuff I've been studying and, finally put it together a little bit more by seeing some of these original, the holes that inspired these other ones. So it was amazing. How many McKenzie courses do you think you visited? And you can't say the Meadow Club, but which one has been your favorite and why? Yeah, not enough is probably the first answer I'd say. But, um, you know, I've been to quite a few. All Woodley was was amazing. I walked that course with their historian and a good friend of mine, Nick Lee. And, um, you know, Cypress is always going to be up there. Valley Club, Sharp Park, um, Palmetto, which he had some work that he did there. 
Um, there's some courses I would have loved to have walked Bayside, but that's no longer around. That was torn up as for subdivisions. Um, he had, um, but I, I really enjoy it all Woodley from the historical aspect of it being his first course. You know, the company I had when I walked the course who shared as much as, as he could, um, and just, um, to kind of get back into his footsteps a little bit to to see what what kind of formed his 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 thoughts and you know just being in Leeds and being in that area and and um I was at Harrogate doing the um, bigger BTME stuff and you know just seeing getting a seeing how many courses he had in that area was was interesting but again just his first course um, there's been changes and they're doing some restoration work there with Clyde Johnson now. So it's, um, I'm interested to get back and, and get a feel for that some more. But for me, it's, it's always comes back to the history. So, you know, Cypress has its own history. They're doing a history book right now and getting ready for their hundredth, just like we are. And I'm um, just trying to understand that as well. So, you know, can't go wrong with Cypress, but, um, all Woodley, like I said, just being that first one was cool. But and it's it's kind of a uh, you know inspiring and and uh, when if you're a fan of classic architecture, when you're walking Pasa Tiempo and you get mm -hmm. the marker in the cart path that denotes the house that Mackenzie owned there is. You know, when you, you realize then you're actually walking, when you see the marker that says he lived here, you realize you're walking in the footsteps. Um, uh, you know, it's a bit humbling. Um, yeah. Speaking of Pasa Tiempo, nearby there, you had told me a story once of a golf, the remnants of a golf course you had found in the woods there around, uh, what is that, Scotts Valley or something, I think is the town that's kind of right by there. Yeah, it's Can you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so just doing the research and I kept coming across this course called Santa Cruz Golf and Country Club. And the more I did the research and I started looking around, I found a postcard with a nice image of the clubhouse. And and then looking at some old aerials, I'm like, what is this course over here? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is the golf course, Santa Cruz Golf and Country Club. And then I went and looked at, you know, Google Maps image now, and there's the clubhouse. It's still there. It's all boarded up, and there's tennis courts out in front. At one point, they were going to revitalize that area. Um, it's called Poco Nip, um, um, but the the course in its in its shell is still there. The holes are all there. Um, it's been dozed, or at one point, uh, I think Marion Hollins had, or maybe not Marion Hollins, but she played um, polo out there on the upper bench right in front of the clubhouse. They flattened all the holes out to my chagrin. I went up there to try to – I have very few pictures of the course, but um, I was hoping to find this, the bunkering of the 15th hole, and um, I couldn't find it because it was flat um, in that area. But um, if you walk the course, you can find um, – some old irrigation pipes that are kind of sticking out of the ground now. You can there's a couple bunkers out there, and there's even um, at one point um, there was a, a a pull behind Toro mower from when the course was being operated 
So that was the last was 1935. So wow. um, it was all kind of sitting there. And then when the golf boom happened um, back in the eighties, there was a little boom for that area. And they were going to, they actually looked at reopening the golf course or building a golf course back out to there. Um, but you can still, I have a routing map that, that um, a, a gentleman from um, Santa Cruz gave me and that I was able to walk the course and it's a treat for, you know, any historian to be able to do that. And it's an old Tom Bendelow course. So um, there's some charm to it for me, um, just knowing all the courses he did. Um, but going back to Alistair McKenzie and his house, um, I've managed to get in there a couple of times and it's really cool. Um, I did go and find uh, the plans for his house and correspondence between his wife and William Worcester, who designed the house. And the house won a competition or was like a came in second or something about for the economy of construction. And um, it's they cut back, they cut on so many things that when he died and somebody bought the house, they went in and upgraded everything because um, they barely put anything into the house. They didn't um, they did. It was just interesting to be able to see the original plans. Mm -hmm. and, and and see where Mackenzie and his wife, you know, were like, we don't need this, we don't need that. And um, it was just really cool to see that. And then I used some of the letterheads to figure out where they were um, for our timeline, which is pretty cool. So always trying to figure that kind of stuff out. But uh, some really cool pictures of the house and the golf course, and this gives you some some insight into into somebody that you you know it's hard to find stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, Paso Tiempo is really special for that. A lot of history there. You had talked about the progression of his designs. What, given Meadow Club's place in that linear timeline, uh, what are some features maybe that are unique to Meadow Club that you're not going to find on another McKenzie golf course? Well, I mean, right off the bat, our bunkers are a little different. Um, they just have a different, they're a little more rounded and, um, and they have more of a, a, a grassy rim, a longer grass rim on the outside. And uh, the greens, we just had, our property was more conducive to having hole by hole, side by side. Um, you know, Pasadampo is spread out. Even, even Cypress Point is pretty spread out. Valley Club has a really compact routing that gets around, but um, his his California designs have a lot of bunkers and um, it's like almost like his bunker period. Um, and then, you know, you see post depression or during the depression lasted well past his um, life, but uh, you know, with the coming back from uh, Argentina and doing the work he did at Augusta and that he did at Bayside and even Sharp Park. Um, you can see that he wasn't using as many bunkers in Augusta and, and Bay Bayside hardly had any bunkers on it, but he definitely was whipping up um, the idea of getting a golf course built and designed, designed, built and open was one of his biggest um, arguments for his, his, his work over others in that 
if you were going to build a golf course, you were going to be playing golf and making money. If you're like Bayside or uh, Sharp Park, um, you'd be making money on your property sooner if you use if you used him versus somebody else. You mentioned how the, you know the all the work that's been done, obviously over the years at Augusta, pretty well chronicled. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if if he were to see Augusta today, might not recognize much of it. Uh, what do you? What would it, if you could bring him back and and he could see uh, uh, Meadow Club today? What would he say about it? Uh, that's a it's an interesting question. Um, I, he would he would recognize it for the most part. He'd probably wonder about the trees um, that we have planted on the course, um, given how is that willow still there um no we got we got the willows out it's right now we just have a lot of trees on the interior of the golf course that don't allow for the the holes you know the visual he was all about the visual camouflage and using bunkers on other holes or even the bunkers on the holes um to challenge your your eyesight and your depth perception and stuff and we just have all these amazing long vistas that are kind of blocked with a bunch of trees. And um, so we're slowly working on that. But um, he'd be very interested in, um, I mean, he was very thoughtful and um, involved in so many different things with like military science and camouflage all the way to um, he was on the Leeds Economic Council so whenever he would come back from his world trips he would sit there and talk about America and Australia what they're doing and not doing in those countries so he would probably be just as interested in the economics and the challenges that are going on in in, a, in the world right now and um, um, more than anything as well as you know trying to figure out why we're changed in our golf courses so much from what he originally designed probably and why why his question would be like why would you do this or um that's how i would see him he's um he was always kind of pushing the boundaries and trying to to learn from what he was seeing and share that with other people so um just based on what we're able to 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 glean from all of his um um, his writings and then his you know some of his he um correspondence and stuff you can hear that so shifting gears a little bit I want to talk about water uh, you know following uh, all the work that Craig Kessler does down in the Los Angeles area and and speaking regularly to Mike Huck those two uh, mm-hmm. outsiders perspective keep abreast of water issues in California more than anybody I know um and tell us a little bit about what's going on there this year. Uh, before we started the recording, you talked about some of the issues you faced in the last 12 months. Um, and so for our listeners, could you rehash that a little bit? Yeah, so we're, we're seeing drier weather uh, patterns. Um, 2014, 2015, we had, even into 16, we had some restrictions here. Um, it was kind of the... And we've had others, I mean, 2009 and even before that. But um, it's becoming a lot tighter and more 
more expressed. Um, this most recent uh, last year, we um, the two years running, we didn't get the the amount of water we needed in Marin to fill our water our water dist our water districts reservoirs. So they put a call on the water, um, whereas the rest of the state was doing pretty good. They had enough rain. We didn't. Um, we Marin here um, depends on 75% of our water is from rain uh, storage. So if we don't get enough rain, then the water district is um, challenged by the amount of water they have. Um, this year, it's different. We had enough rain, um, sort of. Um, through last year, we had 48 inches. We averaged just over 50. And um, the problem with that for us though, was that we had two really big rain events. Um, most of that water just went into the reservoirs. It just ran off the golf course. Um, and then we just didn't have enough rain from, the, from that on. But right now, um, so last year, 75% of our golf course was pretty much allowed to go dormant and um, our challenge this last year, we only started to water the golf course fully again. And from for a whole year, we were just irrigating tees, um, a portion of the fairway, the aprons and greens. Um, and we were only able to start watering back to normal um, May 18th of this year. Um, and we started running in and we had a lot of issues with weeds um, and trying to germinate all the seeds that we can get out there. Um, and then um, around July, we, we really started having problems. We, we were seeing some of this happening, but then all of a sudden in July, we, we had localized dry areas, not just spots. And we um, shifted our wetting agent program and just pounded the course with water, trying to get it uh, re-wetted, the soil re-wetted. And um, it was it was a lot of work. We had a lot of communication and and worked closely with our new GM and the Green Committee here to get everybody on board with what we had to do. And we we ended up just closing a hole down every day and just kind of um, kind of hit the rehab refresh button and uh, did as much work in that day we could pulling weeds and um, you know trimming bunkers, hand watering, getting soaker sets set up and just pounding some of these um, areas with some water, just trying to get that soil back to where we need it and um, and a lot of seed and um, a lot of aerification. And uh, we just finished that up yesterday and um, we have our first round of one of our bigger member events today. So it's been a long summer um, and, you know, everything we're doing here is is almost everything we're talking about in the long range plan for the club is water related. Um, we were working with um, a, um, a consultant to try to figure out how to get water, uh, re reclaimed water to Meadow Club. That's been, we're moving along, but it's a slow process. And we've been talking about Bermuda grass conversion here. That's going at a full speed now instead of about a quarter speed. So we're, looking at that and just trying to how trying to figure out how we can better position metal club for the future when with water being one of the bigger issues besides labor how does that that conversation with uh committees is one thing with membership at large that has to be kind of a tough conversation 
when uh, it, you know, they're just interested in results and conditions, not necessarily wise. Yes. No, it's, it's been a lot of communication and trying to get people to, to understand that um, it's, there's a lot of things at play here. It's not about how much water we have. It's about having the right grasses. Um, we could, we could have a whole uh, entire ryegrass golf course, but we're going to have to use a lot of water um, as our temperatures continue to rise and challenges come from that alone. Um, having, having, Bermuda grass here in the in the summer months, we you know there's the twenty to thirty percent water reduction right off the top, um, and then if we do shut things down, the Bermuda grass comes back with vigor. Um, we were fighting to get the golf course back and seeding all these areas, and we had we have our Bermuda grass test plots on five that we had to go let go dormant, and uh, as soon as we put water on it fertilized it and put some herbicide on it it was it was back in play in about you know less easily less than a month i would say almost three weeks it was some of the best turf on the golf course so the idea that you know we wouldn't the, the members would still be able to play on something that was a little bit more um reasonable i mean covid didn't help we had so many people out here playing that you know what grass we had on some of these areas were just feet down to nubbins uh down to the crown so um you know that didn't stop anybody and uh, there was you know people were more frustrated that this happened especially when nobody else was under any water restrictions for the most part in our area i spoke with the superintendent yesterday about some bermuda grass and um down in la and uh he's at 35 percent water reduction we were at 40 so the rest of the, you know, like I said, what we felt last year, everybody's feeling this year because of the water, just the lack of rain. We got really lucky with our rains, but like I said, we had two really, we had two months where we had 17 plus inches of rain, but most of that came down so fast, especially with our soils being the way they are and not having any grass on some of these areas, the water just sheeted right off. And that was probably one of the reasons the watershed filled up so well was everything was so dry. Um, so it's it's been interesting. It's been a challenge. Um, we just had a little bit of rain. I'm looking forward to a, a wet winter. Um, it's not really forecasted for that. When they keep saying El Nino or La Nina, excuse me. Um, but um, from our records, La Nina isn't, it's about 50-50. So 50% chance of below average rain and a 50% chance of above average rain so it can it swings we're we're on the pendulum here where the bay area kind of is the cutoff where when i say yeah the bay area so san francisco bay area um north of the bay it usually is wetter than south bay with you know throw santa cruz out they're different they get a lot of rain um it just happens to be where they're at in different situations but we're on the we're on Mount Tam, on the shoulder of Mount Tam, and uh, this last year we were getting, we would get a rain event where we had three inches and the mountain had eight. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're not, I don't know where that rain, I have to go figure out where that rain gauge is, but uh, it's just interesting that we're talking a couple miles difference. Um, 
and you know rain can change you know doesn't take much to have it be a little different or exposures a little different but what we just we need a good amount of rain not these fast charging storms but we need the slow rains that come in and just drop rain like you know five inches over five days and uh this helps to get our our grounds saturated and you know fill fill any of our um we do have wells here but it's not a lot we just need to get that groundwater replenished so we'll we'll see what happens but right now it's um i'm not jumping up and down about the forecast right you look pretty bundled up there for somebody talking about bermuda grass <laughs> good point <laughs> yeah no it's what so dr baird at uc riverside is doing quite a bit of research um with um bermuda grass that can hold its color longer into the season um and we with our test plots we have tahoma 31 we have tiff tough santa Ana, bandera um and then two of their newer varieties that they're trying to get into production and um i mean i've been having conversations and visiting other courses in our area uh, ryan nicholson um over at diablo and chris ekstrom at menlo um they've both converted to to um Santa Ana um, fairways and then Diablo has Bandera rough. And then I'm trying, I'm talking with a good friend of mine, um, Bob Boy down at Rolling Hills in LA. He has Bandera and, um, you know, it, it's, it'll be interesting. There's a lot of things to, to take in on this and um, just, you know, Valley Club's another example. They they did the, they were one of the first clubs to convert to Bermuda grass and have really good results. Their timing was impeccable. Um, they did it right before the the fourteen fifteen, um, where they were they were getting called out on. I I don't want to say numbers because I can get them wrong, but um, there was a they were being asked to reduce their water by a large part, and um, with the Bermuda grass, it didn't hurt them as bad as bad as um, had they had what they had before. Um, just the, the mix, the California mix of, um, you know, all different kinds of grasses. But, um, no, we, we do get colder here. Um, I'm from Wisconsin, but you wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> I'm always the one, it's 70 degrees out, I'm still wearing a sweatshirt or two. Um, that's one of the reasons I, I found myself out here, I guess. But uh, but with the Bermuda grass, it's, it's a new, um, we're, everything's getting pushed. I mean, they got Bermuda grass at uh, uh, Soldier Field now. So um, everybody's looking at things. Things are different. So we have to think differently and and um, kind of take that cardboard box and just uh, break the walls down and, and give it some more thought. So it, it's been interesting. And we've been looking at it for over the last 10 years with Dr. Baird and on our own. So um we'll see what happens, but, uh, we're, we're, everything's progressing and, um, doing, I feel like we're doing the right thing. Everybody, not just in your business in every business, it seems everybody's facing labor issues. Once again, before we, we started recording this, you mentioned 
what you're paying people versus what other industries around you are paying. Um, explain a little bit about some of the labor challenges you've been facing and what are you doing to try to get around those? What's working and what's not? Yeah. So we're in Marin County. There's not a large uh, labor pool to draw from. And we have, there's other instances where, you know, other people can, I mean, there's other jobs they can work at and get paid the same and they don't have to be here at five o'clock in the morning. Um, we do see a benefit of, um, you know, you start work here at five, you're done at one thirty. you have the rest of the day to do other things. Um, we have some of our crew members that actually have a second job they go to. And uh, so that's one of the reasons we start as early as we do year round, just to accommodate that. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, you got to take care of the crew you have um, and look after them. But then the other part is how do you bring in new people and that's been a challenge this this year. We were asked to bring in um, three new people, uh, four new people, and um, we're having a challenge with that for sure. Um, you know, we're we're going through all the different, um, you know, Craigslist, Indeed, um, newspaper um, association, um, all those angles, and you know, we're we're about fifty fifty on that. We've brought in some really good people and. Uh, we've actually lost some really good people for different reasons. So um, it's, this is, we've always had a full crew here. I feel like we've taken good care of our, our, our staff and um, there's a lot to be said for just working up on the mountain and being outside. Um, but this last year we've had to go, we've just gotten aggressive and we said, you know, let's go ahead and do a signing bonus um, if somebody takes takes on work here, we'll give them, it's $1,000 over the year, paid out over throughout the year. And then if you refer some referral, we'll do that, do, do the same there. So just trying to speed up the process. It's worked a little bit. And um, like I said, it hasn't. So um, just being in Marin, it's a little different here. Just um, a lot of people either work or don't work or don't need to work <laughs> so there's a lot of um um a lot of people moving around all day here but uh they it's just a different world here but um this last year we we we've tried we're trying different things and um we just we're working um with with uh robot mowers so we have the husqvarna uh mowers out here we have 10 of them uh, we're working with Greensight on that um and um, so that's been interesting. Um, we found out that they need, ro um, every once in a while, the robots will be parked and sitting in, in a spot. And my crew laughs and they're like, oh, the robots need to take breaks too, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, they are. They're just waiting for the satellites to come. And, uh, and so I'm waiting for that to be incorporated into their next joke. But uh, um it's been good. Um, it's the, the cuts really good. And, you know, it's just, it's great when you're driving out at the end of the day and I'm going home or trying to go home and the robots are just buzzing around cutting grass. So, and they, when you come in in the morning, you can see all the little footprints of where they've been. Um, it's, it's, it's a bonus at the end of the, at the, at the end of the day and at the start of the day, just kind of feels good. And, and I know there's other, you know, there's um, 
I guess Toro and John Deere and stuff, they're all trying to do some automated fairway mowing stuff. So we'll see. You know, we we just have to tap into technology. There's that avenue. And then just not forgetting um, you know, other options. I mean, I reached out to high school coaches trying to get the the kids to find summer work and I ended up the kids were already committed or um didn't feel the need to work. And I ended up hiring um, one of the coaches. <laughs> so he's like, what do you need? I can help. So, you know, we just, we got to, you know, get out a little bit quicker and then also try to look into um, uh, look at getting an intern up here and, and um, offering them you know, quite an opportunity to uh, be involved with what we do here. So we've done it in the past. We did just the housing and, you know, at the end of the day, they don't make, they weren't going to make uh, too much money just with what we're paying and then having all the housing costs that are a little more excessive here. Right. So that, that's by and large, the, the bigger problem, everything, California is expensive and Marin is um, doubly. So it feels like. Yeah. Long-term it seems like it would almost be beneficial just to put in a small apartment at the shop. Yeah. Now we, we're talking um, Mario um, Mondujano, our superintendent here. We we were just talking about um, he lives, I don't know, hour and a half. I've, I don't get to Fairfield very often, so I don't know how long the drive is. But uh, he lives quite a ways away. He found the house that he liked, and he's got a really nice house, but he has to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of the, the, um, the, the challenges. But uh, um, he's talking about having his camper here so that he can he doesn't have to leave and come in the next morning after a long day and uh he can just stay here and um just trying to find solutions and then also i mean they got the little um the little mother-in-law things that you can get uh, mini homes or small houses and the thought is to get one of those in here and um you know have the intern stay there or somebody on our staff stay there if they need to or just gotta be we're we're outside the box thinking and you know we gotta try try different things because what's been working hasn't um, necessarily it's COVID's changed a lot of things the way people think and the way people want to work now so um or it could be generational I'm sure it's all those things but um yeah I think it's a I think it's just a melding of multiple factors and COVID mm-hmm. provided the perfect storm. It, it just, it revealed the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities and everything. Yep. Um, when uh, uh, you're talking about going back to robotic mowers. Mm-hmm. There was a time not that long ago when you'd look at those things, whether it would be at a demo or a a trade show or something, and you would see people looking at them and, you know, oh, it's an interesting concept, but I'll I'll never turn that thing loose on my golf course. Mm -hmm. You know, as you talk about how how the past few years have, have changed things so much, describe the mindset of, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, do you think you ever would have dreamt that you would have a robotic mower on the golf course? 
Oh, definitely. Probably. No. <laughs> 10 years ago, it was like, oh, that's cool. But we, we never had a problem with labor at that point. And um, I mean, I, I think it was 2018. I was over in England at, at their turf conference. And I saw they had a robotic um, machine that was picking up range balls. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, but I was like, are we ready for that? Do we need that? And, um, and you know, the Cub Cadet, the greens mowers that they had, you know, that really started to pique a lot of people's interest, in the, especially in the Bay Area. We had a number of courses that were using that. And uh, it made a lot of sense. And but at the, but then all of a sudden that's gone, and so, um, and, and it's it's frustrating because they were ahead of the game, and then when the game started, <laughs> they left, and now we need that technology even more um, for for a lot of golf courses, and you know we're trying to have a crew of about 30, 31 people here, and. Um, we were getting by with about 26, 27. Um, but we're Just being a lot of people is going to sound like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, we, we have a lot of compartmentalization, I guess, is we have a project, we have our own project crew. We have our own, um, we have three mechanics, you know, the shop manager, the real mechanic, the cart mechanic. Um, and then we have an irrigation crew of two people that are hand watering or doing repairs. And then we have two to three gardeners, um, and then, you know, about everybody else besides Mario and myself are run on the on the green staff. So um, we do run a bigger crew. I'm, I'm sure you know there's other courses that have more, but it's it's a large crew, but it's very very um, detail oriented to their specific area. Um, so we're looking at getting more groundskeepers and just having more detail in the course. And you know, if we can bump these robot mowers out and have them cover more area that's taking two people off rough mowers and uh, putting them on bunker trim or T trim or um, all the little detail stuff that um, bunk just straight up bunker service. The bunkers have always been the last place um, that the last place to get the attention, the first place that we want to get into, but it's always been that challenge. And, you know, probably one of the bigger things that i shoot for is um especially here when when you get up to the property it's so amazing um and then you get the buzz of these mowers all the time so just having these robot mowers out and not having 3500s out and up in the clubhouse area um the couple holes that we have there where we have the robots going it's so much quieter up there um i don't know if everybody's noticing it but i have and um so, and then, you know, everything in California, we're having to shift in a couple of years to, um, we won't be able to buy two cycle engines anymore. Right. So we, we, we have, a uh, an electric weed eater that we've been playing around with and just getting ready for that. Um, and just at the end of the day, the golf course is going to be a lot quieter for a lot of this stuff that, you know, I know some people are complaining about, but, um, yeah when you have two weed eaters banging out a creek or a, doing a bunker complex it's it's pretty loud 
um, for them and for, you know, we're thinking not only for the members, but it's, you know, all those stupid ear, 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 um, ear protection things. You know, nobody, I can't stand those little, the ones you jam in your ear because mm-hmm. you find them all over the place and I just feel it's wasteful. But then nobody likes the, the ear, the ear, yeah, whatever those things are called. Type things. Yeah, nobody likes those. Especially when it's raining, you can't have your helmet on and that too. So, right. Where does where does this post pandemic era rank in your greatest career challenges? It's the highest. <laughs> I won't even. It's been this last two years, or I guess it's we're it's two years. Oh yeah, going on three. It's it's um, I mean. It, there was a highlight when there was just three of us maintaining the golf course and um, that was great. And, and then when the members came back, it was like, Oh, they didn't come back with carts. So everybody was walking and that was amazing. And everybody like, is like, this is great. But then the carts came back and everybody, not everybody. I think there was a, a small percentage of people that were like, I'm going to keep walking. And so everything we're trying to do is, um, you know, foster, more of a walking uh, culture here um but we still have a lot of carts that go out um but we're working on that um there's not a lot of hills to climb out here except for the one to get to the club and that's in your car so you know you're you're coming in from the city or you know from wherever you work to come up and play here and um i just when you jump in a cart and you're trying to drive around and where do i drive and where do i don't drive and what are you trying to do? You're trying to play golf and have a good time. I just don't feel like you can do that in the golf cart, but I'm, I'm very much in the, the, the walking uh, camp. So <laughs> um, walking is it's, we had, we had a member up here. He was 99 years old and he'd play 18 holes walking and then he'd jump in a cart to play another nine. Wow. Um, he a large part of that was, because he was had been doing it for so long he was able to so um it just says a lot about walking and and uh why not why not enjoy it instead of driving around but it's a culture thing too there's you know you can have store more beer in your cart and have your music going and all that kind of stuff so there's different ways to enjoy the golf course i understand but walk but from a pandemic perspective um just getting a normal rain and um, just kind of not being able to sit back and relax, but we just have so many different things we're working on right now, trying to figure things out and um, try to preserve the golf course and the enjoyment for our members um, for, for another, well, we're at 95 years now. We'll just stay for another hundred years. Um, and that's, labor and water um which everybody else is but i mean there's places that don't have water issues for all different reasons but um they could i mean i was just listening to a radio program today where they're talking about um seawater um, moving in coming up and filling wells and killing off some uh, forest and i don't even know where it was but um things are things are changing and we're able to see the change in our lifetime so it's it's quite dramatic yeah. um 
So I hope other people are thinking about it. And I always have a really good conversation with the the greenkeeper at La Hinch. We're we always talk about we're kind of a sister course. McKenzie worked on that course in 26, around the same time he was here. And they get a lot of rain in in Ireland, and he's like, yeah, rain patterns have changed just in his 20 plus years there. Hmm. So it's it's not, you know, it's interesting when you start talking with other people in other areas and how how they are seeing things change. Um, it's 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 something's going on. So it's the same amount of water. It's falling somewhere. Yeah, and um, it was, I guess it was just in Bangladesh <laughs> or whatever. Um, maybe it was. I can't remember where it was at now. Pakistan, maybe. But um, they had all that rain and. Unfortunately, it all came down, you know, very short period of time. But um, yeah, it has to come down somewhere. It's it's everything's becoming more of an extreme weather pattern. Um, storms are bigger, and you know, we just—I don't know what hurricane it is um, over here on the west coast. I just know that Puerto Rico is getting hammered or got hammered, and um, they can't recover from the previous one in time to get ready for the next one. Right. Uh, their infrastructure and other things are holding them back, but um, we could, who knows? I mean, we're, we had a couple of big um, tropical storms that were hitting Southern California that impacted some weather patterns. And um, we don't get the hurricane. I mean, our there's cyclones, I guess out here, but um, they're not as pronounced, but that's now, I mean, We'll see. Things can get worse. Right. Well, Sean Tully, thanks for joining us today. It's been great catching up and a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time.